book of the Revelation, the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 2. We'll begin to read in verse 1. This morning I want to speak to you on this subject, when the glow is gone. When the glow is gone. Revelation chapter 2, we'll begin to read in verse 1. I'll invite you to stand, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's word. When Revelation chapter 2, begin to read in verse 1. The Bible says these words to the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands I know your works your labor your patience that you cannot bear those who are evil and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars and you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit, God, I pray, in this place would challenge hearts and lives today. Father, I pray that your will would be done. I pray for those who have never been saved, that they would choose to turn and receive Jesus to be Lord of their life. God, I pray for brothers and sisters in Christ here today who may be so active within the life and ministries of this church, but yet, God, they may be like the members, the majority of the members of the church of Ephesus, that the glow is gone in their personal walk with you. They don't love you the way they once did. God, I pray what a great opportunity as we begin this new year to take inventory and make sure that we're in a right growing, glowing relationship with Jesus Christ. And God, I pray if that's a spiritual reality today, we'll follow the prescription, God, that you gave this church 2,000 years ago. God, I pray that your will would be done in our hearts and lives today. Bless this time. Be honored and glorified through our obedience to your invitation on our life today. It's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen. And I'll invite you to be seated. Remember that John the Beloved was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And while he was there, uh, what seemed like a negative and a victory to the world uh, and to Satan was really uh, a victory in the life of John. That was a challenging place to be and it was difficult. Still, he was able to see things that no one was able ever to see personally at that time. And the Lord led him to write these things down. Revelation chapter 1 is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then we come to Revelation chapters 2 and 3. It's seven letters to seven different churches. But remember that those seven different churches represent seven different historical ages of the church. And certainly we're living in that last spiritual age. We did, I think, a five-week study on the church of Laodicea on Sunday nights. And that's certainly the lukewarm church that we're living in uh, today. Uh, that's the church in the world today where so many are just apathetic and indifferent. But it all started in Ephesus. And friend, I want you to know this morning, listen to me. It's entirely possible to be faithful to attend every single week, to come back on Sunday night, to be here on Wednesday, to be a listener in Awana, maybe to be a worker in the Awana ministry, to help in the youth ministry, to teach Sunday school, uh, to be an active team leader in the Sunday school, to do whatever your part is, maybe for the prayer chain or, to pray, or, to, or a care group leader, to reach out and to let others know things that are going on, to, to serve on the security ministry, to, to work on the hospitality committee, um, to be a deacon, to serve on any committee in this church. It's entirely possible to minister and to do me so many great and wonderful things for Jesus Christ, but yet listen, spirits within your heart to be completely and totally out of love with him, to lose the love. And friend, when that happens, you're on a sliding path to difficulty and destruction. That's what was happening in the life of the church at Ephesus. They were on that first 
step. Remember Acts chapter 19 details the planting of that church at Ephesus. Ephesus was a wicked, wicked city. And for two years, Acts 19 says, the apostle Paul labored there. He worked uh, making tents daily, but he was also trying to reach people. It's, it was a simple plan. Reach, teach, and encourage. He's trying to reach people with the gospel, teach them all the things that Christ had commanded. That's how the church was planted. Uh, and disciples were growing and were being built. And he encouraged them. Uh, you remember Acts chapter 20, a tearful passage. He calls those Ephesian elders to come see him and reminds them of all the things that he taught them. And then just that, that heartbreaking picture of those, those elders, uh, those leaders, just falling upon Paul and crying because they knew that they wouldn't see him anymore because Rome was there before them. Well, Jesus writes a letter to these seven churches, and he shares some truths with them because he and he alone is able to share this truth. Because verse 1 says, he sends it to the, to the pastors of the church. That's the angel of the church. That's what he called that. And then he says, these things see, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the golden lampstands. Well, verse number 20 of, Acts, of Revelation chapter 1 says what those uh, stars and lampstands are. Verse 20 says, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands are these. The seven stars are the angels, that's the leaders, the pastors of the church, of the seven churches, and the lampstands are, are the seven churches themselves. And so Christ places leaders within churches, but he himself, friend, is walking in the midst of the church. He's here today. He's promised where two or three are gathered, there he is in our midst. And so I want you to know, just like Jesus knew, don't miss this, what was the spiritual reality within the heart and life of every single member of the first church of Ephesus? He knows what your spiritual reality is this morning. He knows whether you still love him as much as you did the day that you got saved. He knows that. And so he begins to speak some truths to that church, which really can challenge us today. First off, I want you to notice this morning, Jesus shares with them, first, their saintly practice their saintly practice you need to understand this was a church that did good things um this wasn't a church that just you know nobody came to there was nothing on the calendar there was just nothing that was this was a busy church this was a church that was actively doing great commission ministries uh and so he says uh, verse number two i know I know your works. He, he knows. Friend, listen, there's nothing that escapes the all-knowing, all-seeing God. Listen, to there's no part of your life that you can hide from God. You might can hide it from your spouse. Kids, you might think you can hide it from your parents, but you can't hide it from God. He sees the real you, and he saw the real church at Ephesus. He saw the individuals. He says, I... I know nothing escapes him. But what does he begin to say that he knows? First off, he says, I, I know your works. That, that literally means their service. He says, I, I know the things that you're doing within the life of the church at Ephesus. So these were people who were showing up and then collectively together were joining together in ministry activities. He said, I see these, I see these things. I see your works. Verse 2 continues, he says, I see your labor. In the Greek, that's even more descriptive. This is toilsome work. This, this is work that, that, that leads one to become weary. These weren't people that were just, as it were, you know, just kind of coming and sitting, occupying space. They worked hard for the Lord. They were doing a lot of things. And ministry then is somewhat different than ministry now. How they were helping meet needs, how they were making sure that the widows and others, you know, had their needs met. I don't know all those things that went on, but I know this. Jesus said, man, at the end of the day, these were people that sat down after a Lord's Day, after a Wednesday prayer service. These were people that went home and says, man, I'm slap wore out. This, what I did today has absolutely worn me out. So not only did they work, but they labored. It was toilsome. He continues also to say about them, I know your patience. That literally translates your perseverance. They, they didn't stop. They just kept serving. 
despite whatever the situation was, the moral climate was in Ephesus, which was low. This was a wicked, worldly city that they were trying to reach people for Christ's name in, but they just continued to persevere. They, they never came to a place where they said, you know what, I'm, just, I'm done with that. I'm done with this ministry. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to use my spiritual gift anymore within the calling that God's placed upon my life. They never, they never retired from ministry. They just kept serving. Says, I know your patience. But not only that, they, they liked the things that God liked and they hated the things that God hated. Notice what the Bible says, that they, they couldn't bear. It says you cannot bear those who are, who are evil. And it did, doesn't mean, friend, that they were just you know, going around with, a, with a, a sin list and just trying to jump on people uh, who had sin. Because First John says anyone who says they have no sin is a liar. This is present, continuous sin. This is outward, in your face, I don't give a rip. I'm going to do what I want to within the life of the church. This is sin that 1 Corinthians 5. Jesus gives us a formula in Matthew chapter 18. It's what we call church discipline. And the purpose of church discipline is never punitive. It's not to punish somebody. It's to restore someone. It's to bring them back into a right relationship with the church. But it also should create fear and reverence within the life of the church that the church is going to stand for the things that God stands for and stand against the things that God stands against. These were people that couldn't be bought with presence and flattery not to stand for Christ first. And so they stood against the things that God was against. They couldn't bear. That literally means to, to endure on and on. They never had this attitude, well, God will take care of it later. They knew that God was using them to take care of it. And so they stood and did the right thing. Look what the Bible continues to say, that they tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. They made sure that people were spiritually qualified to do the things within the life of the church that they were doing. And I know a lot of churches that are just in ruins today, you know, they, they think that the spiritual qualifications for being a deacon or spiritual qualifications for being on a certain committee or, or what a person does in the world. You know, if somebody's a banker, well, they'll be great on the, uh, you know, the finance committee. You know, or if they're a CEO, they'll make a great deacon within the life of the church. And listen, outward worldly things have no influence upon spiritual things. Spiritual things all influence the th positions that we have out in the world. And so they made sure that people had the, the right calling upon their life. And the Bible bears out here that it was a real-life situation. Verse 6 says that there was a group that began to infiltrate the church. We don't know a lot about them, but they had the title of the, the Nicolaitans. That literally means to rule over. This was some kind of uh, doctrine or thought toward ministry uh, that verse 15 to, to the church, to compromising church in Pergamon, Jesus says, the, the doctrine of Nicolaitans, I hate. It's, it's, it, was, it was a thought process somehow of to, to rule over the people. And friend, I, there's a lot of churches that are like that. There are pastors that think, you know, that they're the ruler over the church. And friend, I've never presented that to you. But listen, the pastor is no different than anyone else within the life of the church in their standing before Christ. They are in their calling within the life of the church. There's an under-shepherd. But listen, friend, it is equal ground at the foot of the cross. There's no big shots or little shots. We're all saints before God. And so this, and, and, and we see this brought out really later uh, in the, the Roman Catholic Church, the Church of England, which moved people to be fearful, to rule over people with an iron fist, almost like a cult. And they, they saw this beginning to... Uh, to be brought into the life of the church. Either the group inf infiltrated the church or people maybe begin to share in some kind of Bible study. You know, I kind of like, I've been hanging out with uh, this guy that's uh, from the Nicolaitans. And I kind of like that thought process. And they said, not in our church. Well, there might be somebody run off if we stand against this. And they said, we don't care who runs off. We just want to be right with God. And so they, they stood, they did the right things. They had a saintly 
practice. He summarizes in verse number three. You have persevered. You've kept, you've kept moving forward. You have patience. You have labored for my name's sake, not your glory. This was not a church that you would have never heard someone within the first church of Ephesus say, well, you know, my ministry, my class, my kids, my people, my pew, my room, my parking space, my coffee pot. No one would have ever said those things because they knew everything at First Church of Ephesus belonged to the Lord Jesus Christ. And friend, I want to remind you as we begin this new year, there's nothing here that it doesn't belong to me, it doesn't belong to you, it all belongs to Him. And we're just stewards of it. We're absolutely just stewards of everything that He has entrusted to us. And it's all for His namesake. And they didn't quit. I want to remind you, friend, it's a difficult day for ministry. The world has absolutely lost its mind if it ever had it partially. It is a challenging day to stand for Christ. And we're never going to reach anybody for Christ if we quit. Just as Brother Ray prayed this morning, we've got to just keep moving forward, praying that God will, will make us more usable and work through us and do great and wonderful things to reach people for his kingdom's sake. So this was a church. Don't miss this. Collectively, they came together and they were working. They were doing the right things. Nobody ever had to call and find out why someone didn't show up for their scheduled time to teach in Bible study or what they had volunteered for. They were always there. They were always serving. They had a saintly practice. But I want you to notice Jesus shares with them, secondly, they had a serious predicament. There was a problem in their life. Look at your Bibles. Look at verse number 4. He says, nevertheless. That's not a word you want to see. You know, it's, it's the and and but. You know, when, when, when someone's sharing, you know, giving a, a report, you, know, you, they, you get a call for a reference, and you're trying to get a job, you want whoever's going to give you reference to use nothing but and. If they ever use the word but, you're in trouble. And when Jesus is sharing about your testimony, friend, you don't want to hear a but. Nevertheless, as you know, you're doing these things, but I, I have this against you. What is it that you've left your first love? That literally translates, friend, you don't love me the way you once did. The way that you felt about me when you first got saved, and those days after, when you really realize, and listen, I will share this. You may have been saved as a young child the way I was. And you gave all of you that you knew, knew to give to Jesus Christ. But it wasn't until later in life you really began to realize the depth of what it is that Christ saved you from. And you loved him more deeply then than you ever could have loved him when you were seven years old. He's saying that, that love at the pinnacle of our relationship that you once had, he says it's not there anymore. They're, they were still serving. They were still showing up. They were into the parking lot. They, they came, turned the lights off, came in, sat and cut up with people. They had their pew. They had their place. They had their service that they did. But listen, inside their heart, that seed of spiritual place of emotions, Romans 10, 9, and 10, where they did business with God on a daily basis, Jesus says, I see how you feel about me. You'll love me the way you used to. He says, something's, something's different. They had, they, had, they had not departed in service, but the love for Jesus that they once had, it was gone. Listen, they had lost the glow. They lost the glow. It happens in personal relationships, sadly. Husbands and wives will have that honeymoon love and then we all know that that's a fantasy and you get home and that's when life begins. Say amen. And then you really discover that love is a choice. And you begin to love her and she begins to, to love you back. You begin to love your, your, your spouse. And, but somewhere along the way, sadly, friend, even though, listen, the husband still goes to work. He comes home of the evening. The wife may work, may be a homemaker does things around the house. They, they fix meals together. They're there. They get in the same bed together each night. They get out of the bed of a the morning. They go and do those things. They're there. They're not cheating on each other. 
It's entirely possible they can be doing all those things that from the outside look like there's a healthy relationship, but they've lost the glow. They don't, they don't have that love that they once had. And friend, it happens spiritually. Jesus says, you don't, you don't love me the way that you used to. You don't have that love like when you first get saved. You don't have that deep love that you once had. Where it's evidenced by, first of all, you, you want to think about your relationship with Christ all the time when you first get saved. And if you got saved when you were young and you, you, you grow to such a place spiritually, you really begin to realize what it is Jesus did for you. What you really got saved from and saved to. And listen, there's a wonder in that. I mean, just like there's a wonder like you've just seen some miracle and you've got that, man, I can't, I can't believe that that just happened. I can't believe I just saw that. You've got that same kind of wonder. You think about it. Man, I can't believe what it is that Jesus, that God sent Jesus in human flesh, died on an old rugged cross for me. My sin was cast upon God, I can't believe you'd do that for me. I wouldn't do that for anybody. But God, you did that for me. You've got that, there's that, that, that wonder. You love to hear his word preached and taught. I mean, you just, you, you love it. You know, I, I'm always amazed, you know, when people get saved later in life. You know, man, they show up on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. They, they, they hadn't figured it out yet. They hadn't figured it out. You'll see it, you know, there'll be revival meetings. I was always amazed at churches that when we would begin and we would lead people to Christ and then we'd have a revival service, you know, midweek, these people that had been led to Christ late life, they came midweek to, to, to revival services. There were deacons that didn't come, Sunday school teachers didn't come, other people didn't come. Why? Well, there was ball practice and there was all of it, there was some, there was some kind of sale. Oh, it's somebody's birthday. You, man, if it's your birthday on a church day, you sure can't come to church around here. Sunday or Wednesday, man, you've got to go celebrate that birthday because it's a holy day. And nobody, listen, when people first get saved, they don't, they don't figure that out yet because they want to hear God's Word taught and preached. They love to hear it. They love to turn on the radio. Not just hear songs, friend, that move them emotionally. They want to hear doctrinal truth. They love it. And then in turn, listen, they love to take their Bible and open it, and they want to read God's Word. I mean, to personally get in the book. Pastor doesn't have to say, take your Bible. No, look at your Bibles, look at your Bible. Because listen, friends, they've been in it all week. They bring their worship with them to church. You hear people pray, you know, God, we, we come into your presence today. Where have you been all week? When we come together, friend, on Sundays and Wednesdays, we bring our worship with us. And so no one has to shame me or call me or write me a letter when I'm in love with Jesus to read His Word. I want to read it because I want to hear from the one that I'm in love with. When you first get saved, it's not a problem. You want to read God's Word. You want to talk to Jesus in prayer. It's not a burden to pray. You want to pray. And friend, I don't mean just on your knees at the beginning of the day. I mean throughout the day. While you're riding down the road, people think you're crazy. You get to a red light and you're just talking to the Lord. They think you've lost your mind. You're walking through a grocery store. You see somebody. You're praying for them. You don't have to pray out loud, but you're constantly... You're, it's prayer without ceasing. You are daily in constant communication with the one in whom you are in love with. No love greater than the love that you have for him. Every other love, Jesus, it's as if you hate them when you compare it to that love. You love to talk to others about Jesus. Anyone, you just want to tell them about, I mean, people who are living in sin, they're jumping out windows when you come around. Because they don't want to hear about Christ has changed your life. How much you love Jesus. What you read today. What you're doing for your quiet time. How God has shown you this. How God has changed you in this way. What He's doing through you. You want to talk about Jesus. When the glow's there, friend, listen. You want to walk in total obedience to His Word. You don't care what the cost is. 
God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I just want to be obedient to your word. I don't care who it offends, who stops being my friend, what family never talks to me again. I do not care. I want to be a doer of your word. When you're in love with Jesus, that's a reality. And friend, I want you to know that these things have nothing to do with outward service in the ministries of the local church. But they have everything to do with inward devotion to Jesus Christ. Jesus was saying to the church at Ephesus, look at me. You're serving like mad. Oh, you're going at it. But inside while you're serving is a heart that has completely fallen out of love with me. Because in your private practice, the glow is gone. The glow is gone. They had a serious predicament. Now, but now you need to understand that these things are not a, a constant reality. It, it doesn't just stay in place. It only gets worse unless something doesn't change for the positive. Did you hear me on that? When you fall out of love with Jesus, it doesn't just stay stagnant there. It moves into a place of even worse things unless you repent and you have a renewal to Christ's lordship. Third, I want you to notice now, there's sliding problem. There's sliding problem. The author of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says this, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? A lot of pastors wrongly have tried to preach this as an evangelistic message. You know, how should we escape hell if we neglect so great a salvation? But that's taking it out of context. This, this passage is being written to believers. How shall we escape judgment at the judgment seat of Christ? How shall we escape judgment now? How shall we escape judgment that God's... Whom the Lord loves, He chastens. Friend, can I just say in love this morning, listen... It's nothing to celebrate when we become so stiff-necked and hard-headed that God has to send a mountain or a desert to get our attention. That's nothing to be celebrated. What that's saying is, is God, I am so hardened to the convicting call of the Holy Spirit that you have to drive me to my knees to even get me to turn. He says, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation, we, we neglect those first things which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. Their problem was not that they had drifted, but that they were drifting. Do you see the difference? Their problem that He was sharing, it's not just that they had drifted out of love, they had drifted out of love, but they were drifting. They had a problem that was only going to get worse. And so they had fallen out of love with the Lord, but things were only going to get better. Listen, they hadn't compromised yet like Pergamos, yet, but it was coming. That's a letter that the Lord wrote to another church. Uh, verses 12 through 17 of Revelation chapter 2, you can look there in your Bibles. They hadn't compromised yet, but it was coming. You see, they fell out of love first, and then compromise was going to come. They had a perplexing problem. They hadn't become corrupt yet like Thyatira. Yet. Yet. They hadn't become corrupt. But it was coming. It was coming. They had a sliding problem. They hadn't, they hadn't become dead yet like Sardis. They had a name that they were alive, but Jesus looked inside and said, Listen, you're, you, you're dead. They hadn't become dead yet, but it was coming. They weren't there yet, but it was coming. They hadn't become lukewarm like Laodicea yet, where really Laodiceans would say, we've, we've got so much material wealth and, and, and benefit in our life, we really don't even need Jesus Christ anymore. That's what they said. They become so lukewarm. Jesus says, you're not like them yet, but it's coming. Listen to me, friend. Every one of those churches that Jesus spoke a negative word to, it all started, listen, 
with a church that had been planted with the gospel. Listen. They had begun to be discipled in the word. They loved the Lord. They were reaching their neighbors. They were discovering their spiritual gifts, were serving within the life of the church. They loved to think about their salvation. They loved to read God's word. They loved to hear it taught. They loved to hear it preached. They prayed daily without ceasing. They were witnessing to their neighbors. But then somewhere along the way, they lost the glow. And they fell out of love with Jesus Christ. And after they fell out of love with Jesus Christ, listen, then they began to compromise. Then they became corrupt. Then they became dead. Then they became lukewarm. All of those things happened because the first step in spiritual decline, listen, is to lose your intimate love for the Lord Jesus Christ. They had a, they had a sliding problem. Every one of these churches had begun by doing this. This church that we're seeing today, it's a representation of the spiritual reality of the majority of their members. He's writing a letter to the church at Ephesus, but you remember this from where you were little. Here's the church, here's the steeple. Open up the doors and... The church at Ephesus was a representation of the spiritual realities of the individual members. The whole church hadn't fallen out of love with Jesus, but the majority had. All the church hadn't become lukewarm at Laodicea, but the majority had. And so it all began because they fell out of love. They had a sliding problem. Now I want you to notice now the Savior's prescription. Jesus in his love gives them the opportunity to repent and to, to experience restoration and renewal. My prayer for our church for this Sunday was this all week long. That revival would take place where needed for our church. If you're here and you've never been saved, I hope you'll trust Christ today and be saved. I'm telling you, it's the best thing that will ever happen to you. Nothing like it. But my prayer for our church today is this, that there would be revival where needed and reconsecration. Everybody can reconsecrate. What is that? To resurrender to Christ's lordship. That was my prayer, that where revival was needed, where someone had lost the glow, they would experience Christ's reviving touch. And everybody would begin this first, new, this first Sunday of this new year by saying, Lord, I wholly yield myself to you again. I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, help me never to forget it. That was my prayer. Well, this was Jesus' prescription. He gives them an, an opportunity. He says, remember, therefore, verse 5, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He gives them a prescription to move them back into a right personal relationship with him. The first thing he says is this, remember. And so that's for those friends. He says, you've fallen out of love. He says, so remember what it was like to be in love with me. In order to do that, friend, listen, you've got to spit out your pride and admit, if that's the spiritual reality in your life, that you've actually fallen out of love with Jesus. He says, you've got to remember what it was like when you, when you loved me with that growing glow. You've got to remember that. And in so doing, you've got to admit, God, I've got a need. Spirit of God, you're speaking to me. I'm the one. I'm the one that stands in need. It's me. It's me, O oh Lord, who stands in the need. He says, you, you've got to remember. And then secondly, he says, You've got to repent. Now, friend, listen. No one repents of sin or any direction in their life, listen, unless they want change. No one ever gets saved without repentance. Luke 13, 3. Jesus said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. No one turns to Christ who doesn't want to leave their life, their fallen life in the past. No one does that. Because you can't turn to Jesus unless you turn from the old life. And no one who's fallen out of love with Christ wants to fall back in love with Christ unless you want to repent of where you are. 
So he says, first off, remember, and then choose to say, God, I want to turn away from where I'm at. Because, friend, listen to me. If you're not in love with Jesus, you're in love with something more than him. You're the, man's going to love something. It may be himself. It may be a hobby. It may be some worldly possession. But a man's going to love something. A woman's going to love something. And if you're going to remember about that love that you once had, if you fall in that love with Jesus, and if you're going to, if you're going to repent, that means you've got to let go of whatever else you've been giving your affection to. You've got to turn back to, those, to, to, to what it is that, that, that helps stimulate and bring that, that growing, glowing love. Remember, repent, and then return. That is, do the first works. Look what the Bible says, verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the first works. Well, what are those first works in our life that foster that love? Again, it's to think about Him, to meditate upon Him. That is, to keep Him first. Now, I, I never did this because I was too embarrassed for my buddies to make fun of me. But I remember some of my buddies, they, they'd put little uh, pictures of their girlfriends in the speedometer, the dash of their truck, you know? And that's why they were driving down the road. They could look at the, the picture of their, their girlfriend. You know, they, they wanted to make sure that they, they remembered. I remember girls would wear boys' class rings. So when they saw that class ring, they'd remember, you know, that that's their, their boyfriend. They'd wear the, a letter jacket. They wanted, they wanted something there that would, that would remind them so that they would be thinking about them all the time. Jesus says, just meditate on me. Do those first things. Think about Christ, friend, and think about the truth, how lost you would be without him. That no one, Listen, no one's ever done for you what Jesus Christ has. No one's ever going to do for you what Jesus Christ has. He is the best thing that's ever happened to you. It's just to think, because what the devil will do will come and say, well, it's, it's, not, it's just Jesus. It's not that big a deal. It's just Jesus. Friend, the truth and reality is this. We'd all be headed for a devil's hell if God had not so loved the world and sent his only begotten son to die in our place that we might not perish but have everlasting life. To think about that, to be mindful of that truth, to keep him first... And then to, to hear his word through personal study and through preaching and teaching. And that is, friend, not just to hear it. I, I heard it is to receive it. To let God's word dwell in you richly. To be at home. You know, when someone swallows something they shouldn't swallow, they'll, there's a mixture that the doctor can give you, but the old-fashioned thing was... Well, just give them a, make them drink a bunch of salt water. Because I want to tell you something. Salt water is not at home in your belly. And when it touches home in your belly, it's coming out. A lot of people treat God's Word that way. They gag on God's Word. Because it contradicts the direction they're going. Listen, friend, people don't contradict God's Word. God's Word contradicts men. when you're in that growing, glowing relationship with Jesus Christ, man, you receive God's Word. And it, listen, it's at home in you. I mean, it's, at, it's as at home as a cup of black coffee and apple pie. I mean, it is at home. It's just like a quilt laying on the end of a couch, a warm fire in the fireplace. It is comfortable and it is at home in the heart of a believer that is in love with Jesus Christ. You receive His Word. You, you, you want to talk to Jesus. It's not a burden to pray. It's not, you don't have to add to it, you know, God, it's been a long time. No, it's, it is a constant reality. I'm, I'm, always, the, the, I'm always on the line. Now, I, I've shared with you before, it gets on my nerves when I go in the grocery store. You know, and I turn the corner, and somebody's like, yes, and so anyway, well, I told her, you know, that I'm not up for that. Hold on, let me reach, sir, can you reach that for me? Anyway, and they're talking, listen, I'm like, can you not get off the phone for 15 minutes and do your shopping and then call them back when you get out? 
But these people, they won't stay on the line with whoever it was they were talking to when they came in the store. Friend, listen, there ought not ever to be a time you're not on the line with Jesus Christ. Prayer ought to be a... That's prayer without ceasing. When I can't take Jesus in here, i got to get off the line. Then you're not where you need to be. There will never be a place you can't go, friend, that you can't take Jesus with you. And if you feel that way, you're somewhere you ought not to be. You're always talking to Him. And you walk in obedience to His Word. Remember, repent, and return. Do God's Word. Friend, worship is simply this. Enjoying the presence of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. You'll never be closer to Jesus than when you're doing His Word. You'll never be closer to Him. When you're being a constant doer, there's no part of God's Word that you compartmentalize and you turn away. They, they have lost the love. I want to ask you a question this morning. We're going to go to invitation in just a minute. But don't mainly check out. That's always, that means in Baptist life, close your Bible, grab your purse. This is the most important part of the service. This church was so busy doing so many things, but Jesus looked into their heart and He said, you don't love me like you used to. I want to ask you a question this morning. Would you look up here at me? Do you love Jesus this morning as much as you ever have it since you've been saved? Do you love him as much as you ever have? You know, one of the devil's greatest tools, I shared this with a brother in Christ the other day, God, and I shared it with our Wednesday night crowd a couple of weeks ago. One of the devil's greatest tools, listen, to cause a believer, stay with me, to fall out of love with Jesus, I believe here in the South is this, familiarity. Familiarity. You become so familiar with the things of Christ that they lose their wonder in your life. They lose their wonder. No greater illustration than this that I know of than 2 Samuel chapter 6. Remember in 1 Samuel chapter 4, the ark of God had been captured. The ark was simply just a wooden box overlaid with gold. It had a lid on the top of it with two cherubim facing in. That was called the mercy seat. It's where the, 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 the law of God was kept. And it was kept inside the Holy of Holies. And it represented God's presence with His people. But the people had so sinned against God, they turned away from the Lord in 1 Samuel chapter 4, the ark was captured. They treated it like a lucky rabbit's foot. They took it out to battle and the Philistines captured it. Well, then the Philistines returned it because they didn't want the, the problems that went with it. And in 1 Samuel chapter 6, it went to stay in the house of a man by the name of Abinadab. And it stayed there for 20 years. Now, don't miss that. The ark of the covenant, this wooden box that was overlaid with gold that had a lid on top of two cherubim facing in, Rings on the side for carrying it had to be transported with staves, sticks. It stayed in the house of a man by the name of Abinadab for 20 years. 20 years! Abinadab had a son by the name of Uzzah. And for 20 years, Uzzah had grown up with the Ark of the Covenant being in his house. It was just like this table up here at the front. You know, it's, it's the Lord's Supper table we use. It's just a piece of furniture that we set tables that we set plates and dishes on when we, when we share the Lord's Supper. Listen. And it, the Ark of the Covenant just became a familiar piece of furniture in his house. Well, friend, it was anything but a familiar piece of furniture. And in 2 Samuel chapter 6, David desired to do a good thing, and that was to move the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. Now, he did it in a way that was unbiblical. He was going to put it on the cart. And that's its own lesson that they should have done ministry by God's way, but they didn't. Well, us is walking along beside the cart. Stay with me. No one was to touch the Ark of the Covenant. But the Ark began to shift, the cart did, and the Ark began to fall and it was going to move off. And Uzzah reached out to steady the Ark and he touched it and immediately God killed him. He killed him. You say, well, how terrible that that happened. Why did that happen? I'll tell you why it happened. Because Uzzah lost the wonder. It was no longer the ark of God Almighty. It was just another piece of furniture that he'd grown up with for 20 years. He became familiar with it. And friend, I'm telling you, it's entirely possible in your walk with Christ 
that salvation just becomes salvation. I mean, it's what happens when you get saved. You know, saved just is saved. You lose the wonder of it. Grace no longer is grace, God's unmerited favor. It's just grace. It's just grace. When we sing about it, I mean, I know the, the pickup, dun, dun, dun. Here we want to sing about grace. Grace, grace. Mercy. Not getting what we do deserve no longer becomes wonderful. It's just mercy. If we talk about it and sing about it. I mean, we grew up in the church. It's just, it's just mercy. God's Word, got, got 150 of them in the church. We use them for decoration, put them on wreaths. It's just the Bible. It's the Word. It's just the Word. It's just, it's just prayer. I mean, it's what we do. You know, get, get in a little bit of trouble, get on the prayer list. It's just, it's just prayer. Prayer's just prayer. It's just the Holy Spirit, you know? Just, just the Holy Spirit. I've heard about Him my whole life. It's just hell. I mean, it's not, it's just hell. It's just the less desirable place to go. I don't tell you what else comes from here. It's just Jesus. It's just God's Son. My friend, I'm telling you, listen to my heart this morning. You can become so familiar with the things that ought to still move us in our heart in a wonderful, wonderful way that you no longer reverence them and they just become familiar fixtures in your life like a piece of furniture. And when that happens, you'll fall out of love with Jesus Christ. And that's what's happened in the South. We've become so familiar with the things of God. It's just God. It's just church. It's just the Bible. It's just salvation. It's just hell. It's just Jesus. No, friend, it is Jesus. It's Jesus. And He deserves my all. He deserves my best. Nobody's ever done for me what Jesus has. And ever will. And He deserves my total, complete devotion. If that's you this morning. Remember. Remember how you used to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And repent. Turn away today from whatever's become familiar and fall in love with Jesus again. Return. Do those first things again. Read, pray, study, spend time, share. Grow in your personal relationship with him. Do that this morning. If you've lost the glow, get it back this morning as you do those first things again. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Remember, repent, return. There's a fourth R. Would you hear it this morning? It's receive. If you've never in your life chosen to turn from your sin and trust Jesus to be Lord of your life, would you not receive Him this morning? You've got to choose to turn, believe that he died, believe he rose again, and receive him into your heart to be Lord of your life. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that if you'll call upon him, if you'll confess him to be Lord of your life, Romans 10, 13 says he will save you. He'll save you. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But you must choose to receive him today. Tell him so in a simple prayer of faith right now. Do it just like this, silently where you sit. God, forgive me, a sinner. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. I turned from all my sin. I receive you to be Lord of my life. Save me from my sin. Be Lord of me. That's my prayer. In just a moment, I'm going to stand here at the front. If you prayed that prayer, you received Christ to be Lord of your life today. Would you not step out into one of these aisles and make your way forward so I can encourage you in that and share with you what God wants to do next in your life? Church family, listen to me. Be honest before God. Have you lost the glow? Have you lost the glow? Has Jesus just become a familiar thing in your life? Because he's just, he's always there. He's just always there. Then remember from where you've fallen. Repent and return to those first things this morning. Experience his reviving touch. I praise God you may be able to say this morning, I've never loved him more than I've loved him today. The Bible says, let him that stand take heed lest he fall. Would you not recommit your life today? Say, Lord, as this new year begins, I reconsecrate my life just like the first day I got saved. I surrender it to Christ's Lordship. I do it today. Father, you know the needs. 
You wrote seven letters to seven churches. God, I pray your spirit will write a letter to our heart right now. You know what we stand in need of spiritually. And I pray your spirit would speak it so clear that no one can mistake it. And then God, I pray that we'll have boldness to respond to what it is that you're calling us to do in this moment right now. And that your will would be done in our life. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's reverently stand our feet.